Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloseted. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So as you all know, we've celebrated a milestone and we've moved Life Uncloseted into a space of really talking about LGBTQ and marginalized communities. And today, we're going to go someplace that probably we need to have even more of these conversations. You can't go a day in our lovely planet, especially here in the U.S., without racism and all that stuff being headline news. It's happening more frequently between anti-Semitism, gay rights, black rights, you name it. It is happening everywhere we look, and all it is doing is creating divisiveness, equalities on the line. We have people, you know, going through and going, oh, get rid of these people because they shouldn't exist. Well, we have two people on the podcast today who aren't afraid to talk about this. They're not afraid to put it out there and put it on the line. And this is why I wanted to have them right into the new year here, because I think we need to start having more open conversations about everything. Their names are Roxy Manning and Sarah Payton. Roxy wrote a book called How to Have anti-racist conversations. I know that could scare the crap out of many of you. How to have anti-racist conversations, embracing our full humanity to challenge white supremacy. That is a mouthful right there in and of itself. And it gave me the shivers to even read it, but I'm so glad she wrote it. And then Sarah stepped up to the plate and wrote a companion text called The Anti-Racist Heart, A Self-Compassion and Activism Handbook. Yes, we are taking y'all to church. I'm telling you, we are going to church on anti-racism today, folks. And, and it's not just whether you're black or Jewish or whoever it is. It's about having these conversations that need to be had. So ladies, Roxy, Sarah, welcome to Life on Closet. I'm so glad we're bringing this out of the closet because it needs to be brought out. So thanks for being here so much. Thank you for having us. Roxy, let's start. Let's start that dialogue, friend. That's quite a book to have put out there. Like, how do we have these anti-racist conversations? And, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, <laughs> let's go there. I'm not racist. I'm not racist at all. Really? Wow. I bet that that kind of gets your gets your gander every so often when people say that, right? Yeah, I think there are two things I always want people to pay attention to. One is I might not be intentionally racist. I truly can have this beautiful heart that really wants to welcome everyone. And I can still benefit from racism and white supremacy. And I can still do things that have an impact, whether or not I intend to. And so when someone says I'm not racist, it means they're not willing to look at, am I having an impact that I don't want to have? And then mm -hmm. that ends up being functionally racist. Right. It is functionally racist. And, you know, it's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a white boy. Right. And there are times and I grew up all over the country. So I feel like I've had a good exposure. I was raised in California and Colorado and in the deep South. I, I mean, I was in some of the deepest Southern States, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, 
Arkansas, where, you know, the color of the skin definitely, and I went to school in Tennessee. I mean, I was surrounded by this, but one of the things my parents always said is you will never, you will never judge somebody by the color of their skin. And you will, you know, I'm like, well, isn't that interesting, mom, dad? Cause you sure didn't like it when I came out of the closet, but that's a whole nother story. So uh, it's its own interesting thing, but it's can be sometimes the simplest things that people don't realize, Oh, I guess I just make that assumption and say something. And then it's like, you don't realize how that comes across. So Sarah, I'm going to toss this one to you because you kind of wrote the quote companion handbook Sounds well, like you're Roxy trying to teach some people to do some of this, right? Yeah, Roxy and I wrote that one together. I okay. called up Roxy and I said, Roxy, we need a, we, you know, people get tanked by not having self-compassion around mm -hmm. these issues. We're living in a world where some people are like, we have to be woke. And some people are like, I've been canceled and I'm never going to speak out again. Or some people are like, I've been told I'm racist. How can that have any... Uh, how, how can I stand up and keep going from that yeah. point? Intentions have been completely misunderstood. Folks who are from the global majority have said, I'm exhausted. I don't want to do this anymore. Just leave me alone. You know, so it's it's a world that's missing self-compassion. So I said, Roxy, you've got a beautiful voice about self-compassion. Will you write this book with me, even though it might be controversial? And Roxy said, yes. But I have to get the how to have anti-racist conversations book first. So mm. we, we managed to get the those books in coordination with each other. Just two very beautiful, beautiful pieces of work. That's awesome. But Roxy, don't you, I mean, you're a psychologist. So you work, you know, you look into the human mind, the way people think. I think at the core of this, I mean, there's lots of cores. And actually, I'll share something in a minute about some, a connection we have that I didn't, didn't even want to bring up yet, but we'll get there. Um, I think a lot of this comes from, if you don't have self-compassion, then you don't have to know how to give it to others. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for so many of us, like part of what I talk about in how to have anti-racist conversation is a little bit about where white supremacy is coming from and the system that it's part of. And part of that system is meant to make us doubt ourselves. It's meant mm -hmm. to divide us from other people. And that also means it turns it against our own selves. And so mm -hmm. if I've been conditioned to, you know, a lot of kids growing up, you said you grew up all over the country. A lot of kids are growing up with blame and shame. You're bad, yep. you did something wrong. Yep. We need to put you down, kind of lock you up and throw away the key. Well, yeah. if that's how you were raised, how will you learn to both forgive yourself when you do something that you don't enjoy and then extend that to someone else to mm -hmm. hold someone else who's behaving in a way that you don't like and say i'm actually curious rather than i need to cancel you and push you away because that's too scary to be around so mm -hmm. we've got to start with ourselves we've got to unlearn all of the things that were done to us and this way of thinking about the world that's divisive and find ways to reach towards ourselves and other people one of the very first moments that I can remember of experiencing quote any kind of you know any of this stuff racism like just not belonging all that sort of stuff was we moved from Colorado to Arkansas right as I started my first year of high school we predominantly came from California but we had a little drop into Colorado and then to Arkansas and I remember one of the first times I said to somebody in this small little town in Arkansas that oh i grew up in california and the mother heard me say that and she goes i knew why we didn't like you and your family 
we don't like your type here in Arkansas. At 14 years old, can you imagine how I, that made me feel? Oh, yeah. And I was like, why? What's what's wrong with me, right? Okay, yeah, my parents were, quote, hippies, so to speak. Uh, you being from the Bay Area, you kind of relate to like the hippie era and all that stuff and how predominant it is. Okay, so my hair was a little bit long compared to all these other people, right? But man, I didn't know what to do with that. And in its own way, that's a demeaning like, Okay, well, I guess I'm I'm not good because I have long hair. I'm not good because I'm from California. And then at the time, I was finally just beginning to like, I think I'm gay too. So, you know, there were all these messages. And I think this is the powerful piece of people don't realize sometimes what they say or how they frame something actually is so damaging. And yet they don't realize you actually just did it. Yeah. You just did it. And I think part of what I'm hearing in the in the story that you're telling is, in this case, this adult did it to a child, right? Yes. So in that moment, she was looking at you, and she wasn't actually seeing a human being. She mm -hmm. wasn't seeing somebody deserving of compassion the way that she might if she were looking at another child from Arkansas, you know? It's mm -hmm. like, I wouldn't say something that cruel to another child, right. but I have to dehumanize you to be able to do these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, part of what white supremacy does. It says there's us and them. They're the people who are human, who are deserving of compassion and goodwill, and they're the people that we need to cancel. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening a lot in our culture, Sarah, and, and both of you. But Sarah, I, I think you can see this because you're like, I saw this book and now we need something else to go with this because we've got to start teaching people and put them into something that can help them be active in this. I remember right after, well, let's pick anything that's happened in the news over the last few years, but it was right after George Floyd. I called probably a good half a dozen of my black friends and said, hey, first of all, what do you need? Second of all, I want to have a conversation about this. And I want to have a conversation on my podcast. I said, I, you realize it's about coming out and you know stepping out of the closet. But guess what? Racism just in a really freaking big way, has it's coming out of the closet. Like it's never, you know. And even in those interviews, I have to admit to both of you, I felt awkward. Because I'm like, I don't know if I got this right. I don't know if I'm doing what's right. But Sarah, don't you think that's part of what's happening is people are like, I don't know if I got this right, but I might like to explore it. But then to Roxy's point, I'm kind of done. We just, you know, there's so many things you both have brought up. But Sarah, what are you finding that is causing people to go, yes, I want to, but because I think there's a lot of I want to buts happening right now. Yes, our, our book, uh, The Anti-Racist Heart, really allows people to begin to explore this because it can be different answers for different people. Mm -hmm. But part of what it can be is with white supremacy, there's quite a huge premium on doing things exactly right. And so there's such a huge discomfort. And, and the world of anti-racism is so alive and so evolving so at any moment you step into it and you're and you could be saying something from a month ago that the whole discourse has started to go wait a minute that's more white supremacy yep so it's like we have to have a willingness to be continual learners which is mm -hmm. not a comfortable place to be and especially when we care so much. I mean, here you were, you were on podcasts with your friends. You care about how they're doing. You don't want to be making missteps and and right. 
and doing racist things that are unconscious. But sometimes we do anyway. That's why the self-compassion is so important because it helps us keep getting up and going forward despite these worries and these loves that we have for each other. Well, and sometimes it's the simplest thing that's actually quite innocent. So in my first book, Frankly, My Dear, I'm Gay, I wrote it. I'm like, okay, I'm telling my story. Here's what, and then I'm like, okay, it was good, but I just wasn't feeling the connection, right? And I'm like, okay, let's step into the deeper who Rick is, right? And And I always say, and this is where I feel uncomfortable at times. I'm like a big black diva trapped in a white man's body. I'm just going to go there. But even as I do something like that, I can feel very uncomfortable because I'm not trying to make fun of a black diva. I love my, I love my black divas. But even then I got to go, how do I position this? Because she does have a voice and she is a predominant voice in like loosening things up and getting like to the point. But it's really hard at times because I see this so often that even something that innocent can get completely turned the wrong way. And suddenly it's like, you're offending, you're hurting, you're offending. It's like being in the gay community. Okay. You can say something funny about a gay person, but then suddenly it goes to the left. It goes even further and further. And, And Roxy, you said something before we even started recording, like, look at what's just happening right now in Israel and with Palestinians. And then in our own country, everything that's coming up against Jewish people. It used to be, if you said racist, the assumption was, in many minds, oh, that just has to do with black. White supremacy isn't just about black anymore, folks. I don't think it ever really was. Do you think, Roxy, I think it's always been? I mean, I think it's, I think it started there, right? It was white supremacy started with this concerted effort to get a whole group of people and say, we can use them for labor, but it definitely spread. And like right now, like you mentioned what's happening here. And I think right now white supremacy is winning. Jewish people are being targeted. Palestinian people are being targeted just now. Like, you know, I know this podcast is going to air in a couple in a month, but we just had three young men killed, right? We had that six-year-old child kid. We've had Jewish people being targeted. And so the only person who's winning in this race is white supremacy because Mm -hmm. it's just pitting us against each other and not letting us recognize, you know what? We're all being impacted by this. We're all suffering Mm -hmm. in what's happening. So we need to find a way to talk about voted differences. I think the most heartbreaking thing about what's happening right now with um, the war in the Middle East is that people are no longer talking to each other. And people Mm. like Jewish people who are saying, I really don't believe in what's happening in Palestine. I think that is apartheid are being shut down. And Jewish people who are saying, hey, but we also lost lives are being shut down. And Palestinian people are being shut down when they say, we've been suffering for like generations now and no one's talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And this I think is what's so important about the books that we find a way to hold compassion for the pain we feel when we see all of this happening, that we find a way to hold compassion for other people, even if you know, we're kind of worried, are you gonna see me? If I extend compassion to you, does that mean I disappear? Does that mean that my values get lost? It's like, mm-hmm. no, we can, it's both end. We can hold sorrow and grief for what's been happening to the Jewish folks. Like that attack in October was horrendous. Yep. And it doesn't negate doesn't justify what happened to the Palestinians either. And I can hold both, right? And I think it's that being able to hold both, the nuance of these conversations have been lost. 
but all of this holding both in the nuances we're talking about the stuff we're seeing quote in headline news we're talking about jews and we're talking about gays and blacks and all this so here's the connection roxy that you don't know we have you work with homelessness and disenfranchised mentally ill people in the bay area my husband actually works in human services here where we live in the unhoused population and i see this probably because i'm close to it i see this same anti-racist stuff towards homelessness and the unhoused and the mentally ill and i try my hardest because i am close to this i can't live with somebody who works in this daily and not be close to it right yes i get frustrated too when i when i see the homeless activity that happens. But I also see the other side of this, that a majority of these people are mentally ill people. This is what you don't get. They, they are mentally ill and, and they don't have the capacity. There's a there's a there's an amazingly beautiful human being that literally lives homeless, unhoused, just down the street from us. He, he has his shopping cart. He is very neat and clean about what he does. He sits out front of this shopping center of Vaughn's and Carl's Jr. All this stuff is right there. It's on one of the main roads in our town. He's very contained. He's very polite. He's very happy. You can walk by him and he'll say hello and you have some conversations. But why he's there is because there's a mental illness piece to this. He's content. He's happy. He knows how to go take care of himself and go do the things because he knows how to get to the shelter. And there's a time that he'll disappear every so often for a little bit from his spot. But everybody in town knows that's his spot. And we know he'll always come back. And, you know, so maybe he's sick or whatever it is. But I see the same shade being thrown in these populations, too. And this is why you're right. White supremacy is winning because even in those populations about this is what good white versus unhoused homeless white looks like. And so anybody who goes, it's only about black. I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't. It's about black. It's about Asian. It's about gay. It's about homelessness. It's about drug use. It's about epi, ep, you know, opioid use, all of this. It's you're less than me. And this is the perfect. And we see it in our own yes. Congress, certain members Mm -hmm. it just shines through like it's in it's in it's just so insulting quite honestly at this stage and again i know i'm preaching to the choir that you all have brought together in these books but what is when you talk about embracing the full humanity roxy which i love that phrase embracing our full humanity what's one of the things you would say would be a step towards that because i think the way I interpret it is one thing, but I want to hear it from your own own words yourself. I mean, just as I heard you speak, and I heard you speak about, you know, all of the different ways that white supremacy basically says that we're less than, I think that's part of like one of the very first steps we can do is to start to dismantle some of the beliefs about white supremacy. So this belief that um, there's like the either or, that either you're going to win or I'm going to win. Mm. And so many of us are afraid. Like if I open my heart and I see this person who's unhoused as somebody who's needing support, then 
what does it mean about me? What does it mean mm -hmm. about whether or not I'm eligible for support or to be loved or to be cared for? Or did I have value? Like some people think I have value because I have a house and I've got a job. And so if I say that person has value, then do I still have value? So if we can step back from that either or thinking, that it's either you or me, it's good or bad, all of these dichotomous thinking, if we build a nuance back in, that's one of the ways that we can embrace our full humanity. That I can look at somebody and say, hey, I don't actually like when you say X, Y, or Z, mm -hmm. and I still see you as a human being who's struggling, who's trying to find the path through to live a life that's meaningful and engaged. So I can hold both. And I think that's the part that's so important. Mm -hmm. Well, I also think it's important to and I've said this to a few people, because when somebody's pushing my button around this stuff, I'm like, okay, I don't care. I'm going. <clears throat> I try to do it without being like, <laughs> screw you. But it's like, okay, but let me ask you this. And I actually have had a conversation about the guy I was just talking about with somebody here in town. Well, can't he just go somewhere else? And I said, okay, I want you to think about what you just said. But I want you to think about this one thing. He's another human. Would you actually say that about your kid, your mother, your aunt, your best friend, if suddenly they were that guy, would they just go somewhere else? Because they're human. And I think that's the piece people miss so often is they're human. I, I want to add, because what you just said, especially what if it was your mother, your son, your, you know, your neighbor, that's another core concept in the books and the work that Sarah and I do, that we're really wanting to encourage people to lean into this idea of beloved community. And I talk about beloved community as like really just thinking of everyone as my family. And I can get angry at my family, right? We yep. can get really angry at family. We can say what you're doing isn't working for me and I'm still gonna love you and I'm still gonna work with you to make it work for both of us. I'm not trying to win over my family. I'm trying to win them over. I'm trying to like support them to get them to do what they need to thrive and what I need to thrive. And that's part of it. It's like, how can I look at the person in front of me, no matter what they're doing and see them as my family? Yeah, that's a powerful, powerful way to look at this. And I guess I'm also like, put it back in my own shoes. What if I was, what if I was standing in those shoes? How would I want to be treated? You know, I, I do realize again, because, you know, I'm close to this, that a lot of those situations, they do come from mental illness or situations, but at the end of the day, and I remember when I was getting my coaching credentials, and this was one of the most impactful things my trainer said to me, and it was about really seeing people for who they are, where they are in their journey. And we did a lot of training around energies and like, you know, if you're a victim or, you know any of these sort of things. And so the whole point was like really starting to see people for where they were. So we'd been doing all this training and then she said, so let's put some of this into practice. And so there were certain scenarios. If somebody was doing this, how would your energy shift? And what would it do this? And then she said, okay, so let's take this to a new situation. Here's somebody who just murdered two people. What's the energy you're feeling? How do you see that? How do you perceive that? And so people started responding to it. Okay, now I'm going to put the twist in there. What if that person was doing the best that they could in the moment that they did that? That's the best they could do. How does that shift things? I'll never forget it. Obviously, I'm sharing that. This is probably the eight or 10th or I don't know how many times I've shared that on this podcast because it's where we start to put, and I'm not condoning murder. That's not what I'm doing. 
I'm saying this is where we put the humanity back into the conversations. No matter what, it's just another human being. Yes, what they did isn't right. But man, if you come at them with all the hate and the anger and everything, does that does that actually resolve anything? And I think what you're getting at in the premises of the books is how do we have these conversations? Doesn't mean I have to love you. Doesn't mean I have to agree with you. But how can we open the dialogue? So either one of you can respond to this. If somebody is just absolutely not open to the dialogue, then how do you invoke that compassion and embracing the humanity when somebody's like, I don't know, I don't have to listen to this. This is the way I see the world. It's white and it's right. Well, Roxy's book, How to Have Anti-Racist Conversations, gives you a number of foundations to, to kind of start from. Like, what, what do you really want from the conversation? Mm-hmm. And how safe is it to have this conversation with somebody who's turned off? Yeah. And but but if they are a member of your family and you do feel that you have authorization and safety to to take a stand, there's an impact with people turning away. We get to mm-hmm. tell people there's an impact from them turning away. Mm-hmm. But I had wanted to backtrack for one little minute and then sure, we'll sure. check and see if Roxy has some more there with the conversation piece. But I had wanted to say that what both of you are talking about when you're talking about how to look at people is you're inviting brains to see everybody as us because brains have a tendency to see the world as us and them. And the more we let go of seeing other people as them, the more we're using our whole relational brain for connection and in order to keep standing up and doing the important and beautiful work of anti-racism. But Roxy, where do you go on the conversation? Well, before we jump there though, that's a great concept The us and them, every conflict. I, when I came out of the closet, it was me against them, me against them. Instead of, Hey, this is just another part of me being with you. I'm just giving you another piece of who I am so that we can continue. But it's not easy because we are so conditioned as humans to win. We either win or we lose. And I think that's a lot of where we're stuck right now is in it's either I win or you win. And it's getting deeper and deeper. Like we're either going to win. And those of us who win, that means everybody else loses and get out of my just get out of my sphere, get out of my space. And I think that's what's contributing to this divisiveness. So I'm so glad you shared that, Sarah, because I, I love that concept. It's inviting brains to us, not us and them. Really powerful. Okay, so now Roxy can take the rest of the time. <laughs> um, so this piece around, like, what do I do when somebody just doesn't want to have a conversation with me? Mm-hmm. For me, it actually depends on who's not wanting to have a conversation with whom. And I think it's really important to name that. So if it's like the person you described, it's a white person and I'm wanting to have a conversation, especially about harm that I've experienced, then I get to decide exactly like Sarah said, what is it that I actually want from this person? And some of it is, is there another way to get what I want? Do I have to engage with this person in order to get my needs attended to? And if I do, how much risk am I willing to take? And how much am I willing to be really clear? Like like Sarah already said, if you turn away from me, if you don't have this conversation with me, here's the impact it's having. Here's the cost it's having both to the relationship and to the things that matter to both of us. So I could make it really clear 
that the cost is not just that I'm losing out, but you're also losing out at minimum in our goodwill. But also mm -hmm. I'm imagining, like I'm thinking of a lot of work situations, right? There's a lot of challenges that happen when relationships fray. And just naming that, making it evident, I wanna have this conversation, not just for my benefit, but because it will also support us in accomplishing these things we're here to do together, can help people think about how to get back into the table. And I also am also very curious, like with that scared white person, I'm going to say scared because a lot of people yep. are scared to have that conversation. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> right? That's why they're saying, I don't want to have this conversation. So even though it can seem counterintuitive, it's like, what do you need to be able to have this conversation? Mm. What would support you in trusting that I'm not about trying to beat you up. I'm going to be real. I'm going to talk to you about the hard things, but I'm actually doing it with compassion because my goal is to build a beloved community where we're both fighting, not just to get over you. So that's one piece. But the other flip side of that is what if I'm the global majority person and I'm saying, I don't want to have a conversation with you because that also happens. As a black woman myself, I've had people come to me and insist on wanting to have a conversation. I'm just like, I don't want to have this conversation with you. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I've had it 500 times. I'm done. And so there's also, again, that piece of understanding what needs are you trying to meet in my refusal? What am I saying yes to when I say no to that conversation? Mm -hmm. And it could be like, I'm saying yes to like choosing where to put my energy and my resources and what would actually be life serving to me. And I want that to be okay. So it's, it's like almost a mixed message, but yeah. the core concept for both people is to understand why are you doing this? Whose needs are you serving? And how can we make sure that everyone is thriving in whatever decisions we make? I've seen that happen over and over. I mean, you know, let's go back to when, you know, right after George Floyd and everything, I actually had one of my friends say, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. I said, because I want to, number one, I want to, I want to, I want to check my own privilege and I want to better understand and be able to talk about this in the right way. I said, because here's what happened for me. Nobody wanted to talk to me about me being gay. Or if they did want to talk, they wanted to talk and they wanted to go It's so deep. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I didn't agree to have this conversation. You know, it's kind of like I have served on so many panels where I'll be like one of the speakers and there'll be a lesbian and someone in our transgender community and, you know, all that. And the transgender questions always just get under my skin because it's like, would you actually ask that question to somebody hetero about their most intimate stuff? No, you would never ask a heterosexual so do you really have a penis or are you just pretending you have a penis? You don't. And so I think this is that whole thing of what you just brought up. Roxy is like, I get tired. Yes. I get tired of being, Oh, Oh, so you're gay. So, Oh, well, I need to ask you some questions. No, you don't. You can, but ask for permission to ask those. You know, I always appreciate somebody who comes to me and says, Oh, I love how you shared, you know, your world and that you're a gay guy. I'm wondering if it would be okay for me to ask you a few questions. And if not, I'll completely understand. Guess who I'm going to say yes to? I'm going to say yes to that person versus, oh, you know what? I have a gay cousin and y'all should meet and maybe you know him and I have a question for you. You're making, you're pre, you're preconceiving so many things in that conversation. And I know they mean well, I know they mean well, right? But it's just like, we have a good friend who's asked my husband and I in really interesting scenarios, 
so are you guys in an open relationship? I literally turned back to this person and said, I don't know. Are you guys? <laughs> yeah. So part it of what's coming up. It was just an assumption, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, and, and I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of black friends. It'd be like me going, so, you know, who makes the chicken when y'all get together? <laughs> so this is exactly it, right? Because yeah. when I think about some of these conversations, sometimes when I when I talk about this piece that, you know, if I'm a white person, I want you to step up and like let yourself have these conversations, no matter how mm -hmm. afraid you are. And if you're a global majority person, I want to give you permission to say no to those conversations. People say, well, wait a second. <laughs> Why are we like giving different messages for different people? And I think it's exactly part of what you're describing, that part of the world is kind of centered around whiteness, around straightness, you know, around like kind of heteronormativity and things like this. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to ask you a lot of these questions because the whole world tells me like what it's like to be a white heterosexual man, essentially. Like I get a lot of information and education about that. But the stuff that is about me, like the curiosities that you have about me, they're either going to bring up a lot of pain. So you're basically telling me, I'd love you to sit in like your deepest, darkest moments for my education or yeah. just for my enjoyment. Rather me. than, Yeah, but yeah. educate me at cost to yourself, at whatever psychological impact mm. it's going to be for you to relive this thing that I'm asking you about. So you've mentioned like what happened with George Floyd. And every time someone asked me about George Floyd, it was like, do you recognize that every single time you ask me that question, I have an image of my young black child. You know, yeah, I've got the absolutely. six tall black boy possibly being George Floyd. And it's a very different conversation, a very different mm -hmm. impact. And so I always want people to recognize that, that the reason that there's a different instruction for different groups is because we're also talking about different impact for different groups. Mm -hmm. And also you can get every bit of information you need, all of these questions, you can ask them, like you can go to the internet, you can ask Google, you can ask ChatGPT. It doesn't have to be at my expense. Right. So. Right. The yeah. people I appreciate the most, kind of like what I've already said, but it's somebody who says, I'd like to ask you something, but I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. So what are you comfortable sharing with me from your gay experience? Mm -hmm. I will probably open up a whole heck of a lot more to somebody like that than yeah. somebody who's like, just, I need to, I need to understand. I need to be educated. I mean, again, I love I like this friend who asked that question about the open relationship. I like them. It just didn't need to be asked. Yeah. It just did not need to be asked, period. And I, and I want to say that as you talk about this, here's a difference that I'm hearing. So your friends are asking questions around curiosity, right? I want to yes. like, it's almost like titillating. I want to find out what the Black experience, what the gay experience is like. And that's a different kind of conversation than the conversation we're talking about, Sarah and I, in our books, right? We're talking about conversations that are around, we are in a relationship to each other and we're impacting mm -hmm. each other. And how can we talk about that impact? How can we talk about the things that are coming up between us that can actually make Make us more comfortable being in relationship with each other mm -hmm. so we're both at risk here rather than the conversations around are you in an open relationship is right. asking you to be the only person at risk right yeah and i think so many people take for granted that a majority of conversations we as humans have the other person is the one at risk because we want to be the person getting the information i don't care if it's about being black being gay, being a victim of domestic violence. I don't care what it is. You need to realize this needs to be a dual conversation where there's quote payoff for both. 
versus he, you need to educate me. <clears throat> you need to make me feel more comfortable. I mean, one of the things that I know it's the same in, in, in the race, you know, the black community, help me feel more comfortable with you. That's yeah. basically what it is. I don't have, I don't, I don't own any responsibility for you feeling comfortable with me as a gay man. No more than my black friends have a responsibility for me to feel comfortable with them being black. And in fact, I also say, I really want to bring Sarah's voice. I'm aware that I'm talking a lot, but I'll just say this one piece. Like for me, this is another example of white supremacy, right? Mm Because when you think about what white supremacy was predicated on, it was that black people were there to serve white people. And so if you're curious, I get to serve you and answer your curiosity. If you're not feeling comfortable, I get to make you feel comfortable regardless of how I feel, because that's what white supremacy was predicated on. So it's another example going back to the beginning of um, what you first asked. This is another one of those. I'm not racist, but this is another example of a racist act where you're assuming that my labor, my energy is yours for the taking. So it's so many different layers here. Well, it is. So. I'm going to give a real life example of this right now. And and then I want to bounce back over to Sarah, but my husband and I live in a central coast college town. Most people know where we live. Um, It's very white. I'm going to be honest. It's just a very white town. Right. Interestingly enough, they've, they've definitely done some recruitment efforts because uh, there's definitely a lot more people of color this, this school year. I see many more students of color and Asian and black and different cultures just in the stores and stuff. Just what I said is actually a racist analogy. There's more people of color. There's more people from different descents. I'm using it as an example because it's an observation. I mean, I'm like, wow, they've done some stuff. I actually am really good friends with the student, student affairs VP. And so I did say, hey, man, what have you guys been up to? Because this is great because I think this is what we need here. Right. But even the simplest thing. And again, I didn't mean this in a demeaning way. I'm making an observation, but these are the things that people say like, Oh, wow. Yeah. I actually, I actually heard somebody in, in target. Like we had been gone. We'd been gone when students all moved into town and everything. We were gone for a whole month. And between my husband and I were like, I wonder if they did something here because wow. We didn't say it out loud. We thought it because I'm like, I love this. We need this diversity coming into our town. I did hear somebody in Target say, there sure are a lot of Asians here this year. It was all I could do. (laughs) My husband's like, don't. Mm. Don't even start this conversation. He knew I was biting at the bit to start. He's like, we just got home. We just need to go relax. I know how you feel about this stuff, Rick, but... It's just so interesting to see this show up and know you want to say something. And then again, but you got to check yourself because you got to make sure it's safe. You got to know what you want to get out of it and all this stuff. So Sarah, for you as a white woman, what do you want to get out of being able to be this compassion activist and everything? What is in it for you? Oh man, I want to, I want a world where... As many people as possible are committed to anti-racism. I want a world where Roxy's kids and every kid gets to just grow up and be loved. And and where we all know that houselessness is connected to mental illness and Mm -hmm. where there's just grace and, and, and care 
just everywhere where we all know about the human brain and we're like, oh yeah, I have a real tendency to go us them. I guess that was an us them thing that I just said right now. Let me see if I can walk that back and do it a little differently. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, and it's so, I mean, we've been talking about the Middle East and we need to talk about climate as well because we're living in a world where the whole middle strip of the world is becoming uninhabitable due to climate yep. and folks need to move and live somewhere where and we've seen in it just this is two days or three days after the netherlands election of the far right guy yep. who's going to have to be prime minister because they're so freaked out about immigration there with with ukrainians and syrians pouring in this is global this yep. is this is <clears throat> serious this is the, if we turn toward beloved community instead of away from it then we get to build a better world mm-hmm. we turn away from beloved community into scarcity and into the idea that everybody uh needs to just hang together with their own skin color and their own religion and their own ethnicity we are heading for so much strife and pain and exclusion and just I just yeah. want to say the word stupidity, although I try to stay away from the word stupidity. <laughs> but you said something right now that actually is a little, when I'm really frustrated, and again, I I don't think I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm capable of anything, but I don't think I've ever said this out in public, but there are moments I just scream at the TV and go, okay, they just all need to go be put on their own little island and left. <laughs> well, even though I don't like these people, that's in my own way being racist. Like, okay, put all the little white supremacists out on the island. There's no empathy. There's no like, you know, let's have a conversation. In fact, one of the the furthest I pushed myself out there was I I do a lot of public speaking. And I've always wanted to do a TEDx talk. I've done one that would really push the envelope because it would be so controversial. And it's around the thing that, the LGBTQ community and the KKK have in common. Everybody hates us. Everybody hates us. There is an intersectionality. Now, it would be really controversial to do that talk because I'm not condoning it by any stretch of the imagination, but this is where the empathy comes into play. It's like, if you can just see each other, if you can just see every gay person, every lesbian, every transgender person has to hide themselves in the cloak of something, which isn't that different than the KKK showing, I can't let you see who I really am. It's the intersectionality of this. But if we could say, okay, then let's stop hiding. Now, granted, now they're not hiding as much as they used to, right? But when we can start saying, okay, show me who you are so we can see each other, it starts with seeing each other. Because if you can't see each other and you can't start to hear each other and you can't talk to each other, this is where we are right now, this divisiveness. And you know, when I hear about this divisiveness, and especially in this example you're giving, we know that people like the KKK, that as long as we keep hating them, they're going to double down. Like Mm -hmm. we want to belong. We want to have community. And if you're going to tell me, I hate you, you're evil, you're horrible. Well, then I know you're not my community. So I'm going to have to become even more More. convinced about the righteousness of my beliefs. And so the way to get people to change is not to hate them and tell them that they're evil, but to kind of say, 
huh, what you're doing is really not working for me. It is against all of the values I have, but I see you as a human being. And so yep. I'm really curious what's going on for you. Yep. And if we can let people know you still matter, you still are welcomed and loved. And, you know, there's a way that we can make sure that you don't harm other people, but you still also have value. That's yes. when people start to open up and change. So I absolutely agree that, gosh, I hope you do that TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still have a burning desire because I feel like there's just there's it, it would showcase the intersectionality of humanity. To me, that's what it would showcase. I know it would be controversial. I know it, but I get death threats already. So <laughs> what's a few more? Right. But um, it is such an interesting thing. So, well, I honestly have to say that this conversation has been probably one of my most proud moments as a podcaster to put this out there and to say, let's not be divisive. Let's try to start seeing each other. Let's start to bring it to community. Let's start just saying we're humans. Doesn't mean we're the best humans. Doesn't mean we're the worst, but you know, let's, and I love what you just said, Roxy, because even back to Sarah's reference about the, the guy in the Netherlands, I'd love to just sit down and go. So I, you know, this isn't working for me, but help me see you. Help me understand you. Because there's something there, and we could list off any numerous, you know, even, you know, any world leader right now who's pushing buttons and doing stuff. I mean, help us understand. Not going to say I'm going to agree with you, but we don't even get to the point these days where it's like, help me understand you. Help me see where you're coming from. That to me is what the value of what you have put out here in these books and your version of let's let's start with compassion and turn it into activism. Let's start with that space where we can see each other. Let's let's start from that perspective of how do we embrace humanity? To me, that is what this conversation has been about is can we just dial up the embracing humanity about five million degrees right now and see what happens? Because I think at this point. We have, well, this is my humanity and that doesn't work. And so you're wrong. Mm -hmm. End of statement, period. And that's obviously not working. And I guess as a, a gay guy who stood in those grounds for a long time, like you just need to accept it. And that is the way it is. No, they don't. But would you see me? Can I share with you? Can I explain to you? And if you still don't agree, okay, then maybe you don't need to be in my world. And that's okay. That's okay. But there's a gal that has a video out that talks about, you know, the abortion and all this sort of stuff and she, and religion. I want you to be able to practice your religion. I want you to be, and if you don't want to have an abortion, I want you to be able to do that. But don't be coming in and telling me how I need to do this because that's what you believe to be truth. And to me, that is where the supremacy, white supremacy, all, it just, this makes me better than you. And so thank you both so much for bringing and shedding a light on this and showing that this is a closet. It's a closet that needs to be opened up wide. It affects all of us. I don't care if you're straight, gay, lesbian, bi, trans, Hispanic, black, Asian. I don't care if you're mentally ill, not mentally ill, if you're unhoused, not unhoused. If humanity doesn't see, this is affecting all of us and it's opening the doorways to continue to affect all of us in ways that we don't even, I don't even think we can see. 
I mean, I think some of us have insights, like if this continues, this is going to kill, it's going to kill the planet. It's going to kill the world. And that's what I think these kind of conversations are trying to help prevent. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for sharing. And if anybody wants to reach them, there's a hundred different, <laughs> there's a hundred different links on the show page. You can go to roxymanning.com. You can go to sarahpayton.com. Those are probably the best places to start. You can probably pick up the book at any, anywhere you can buy books. Correct. Yeah. There's an there's a com website. That's for these books and for our podcast, Fierce awesome. Compassion. And you can find us in our classes and our podcast and our books. That's awesome. So good. So good. Well, thank you ladies so much for sharing and being part of the planet and trying to heal humanity in the best way that you can and contributing to that. So appreciate you both. Thank you. Thank you, Rick, for the work that you're doing as well. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And we just might help change a life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.